Welcome to Probably Science. I am Matt Kirshen, back after a while. Who, who is that across the table? As I, I look, it's, as I take my glasses on and off. It's me, the English guy who supposedly is one of the regulars on this podcast, but has been away for a month. Your name is still in the iTunes uh, uh, host descriptor there. Yeah, maybe the first one listed even. And, it is, and I yet, am special guest host. You've abandoned us time and again. To be off doing actual comedy. Th- so you just got back from Edinburgh. I did just get back from Edinburgh. Where yeah. you were doing what? Well, I was mostly doing Setlist, which is the show I've been helping out with in general. Um, and That's the that. improvised stand-up show. That, that is the improvised stand-up before. show, yeah. And uh, it's been a joy. It's been... It was lovely again. Comics really get off on doing it. Nice. It's being made for a TV thing, so people wanted to do it, and people were taking an interest in it. So it was, it was one of the easiest times I've ever had at that festival. And did you get to like rotate through new people almost every show? Because of how many yeah, like every out? every show there were at least a few people who'd never done it before. Yeah, um, and sometimes a lot of people who'd never done it before. But yeah, it was it was great fun. And um, normally when I do the Edinburgh Festival, I'm doing my own hour as well, and it's the world's biggest stress. Yeah, because the stakes are so high, and you're constantly focused on your own show, and you're doing all these other things as well to help promote it. Uh, and you just, and also we were talking about this before beforehand. You you take the financial risk is kind of on you. Um, you know, you have producers who help you out with it and stuff, and they sort of co-produce it. But basically, if the, if the show makes a profit, you make some money. If the show makes a loss, you end up getting hit with a bill. So wow. when you're doing your own show, you sort of look out the window in the morning, and if it's raining, you kind of go, "Well, there goes two hundred pounds." It's hardly even a festival. It's almost more like the city of Edinburgh says, hey, if you want to come here this month and put on a show, knock yourself out. Well, that's totally... I mean, it's a fringe festival. The The Edinburgh... What people talk about as the Edinburgh Festival is actually the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. There is an Edinburgh Festival. It's quite small. It has some, like, major international opera companies and theatre companies uh-huh. but the thing that people mean by the Edinburgh Festival is, is actually a fringe was the, the slam dance to the Sundance that is the Edinburgh totally Festival. but yeah. the fringe is over 100 years old and it's outgrown the thing that it's the fringe of wow so many times like the, the fringe is now the biggest arts festival in the world really yeah which is, is ridiculous and about uh, about just over a third of it is comedy and then there's theatre, music, dance, all lots of other stuff. I didn't. I thought it was mostly comedy for some reason. I guess it, just comedy tends to is... dominate the stories about it, and also yeah, the stuff you would have heard about. Yeah. But it's it's ridiculous. You've got everything from because it is exactly what you just described. Like, who wants to put on a show? Anyone who's willing to pay the entrance fee and can find a venue that's willing to host them can do it. So it's almost as if the real uh, gatekeepers are just the people that have venues. Yeah, totally. So that's who curates it. Yeah. There's no central curator, but the bigger venues, the more prestigious venues, will obviously save their better time slots and their better rooms for bigger names and people that they're going right. to draw. But you can find like a you know a pub that's three miles from the city centre and go on at one in the afternoon with like zero experience. So it's got everyone from complete novices and complete and complete no hopers. Right up to, to household to, names selling to veteran out 2,000 seaters. To, to talented uh, headlining comics with, with TV credentials, such as the one sitting opposite me right now. TV's- Look at you oh, with your slick segue. links. <laughs> I've missed that. I've missed that. Anyway. Last comic standings, Mark Agee is here with us. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Uh, glad to have you here. I don't know if the audience um, has noticed there's a voice they haven't heard right now, which is Brooks Wheel in, in absentia, um, taking a week off. But uh, he will be back with us next week. And um, by the time this goes live, you will have already heard the episode we recorded from Brooks's new residence, which we expect will be the cause of his demise within a span of the next few weeks <laughs> or so. I, I don't think he's going to live through the month. But uh, Who's he living with now? He's living with the Power Violence guys and also the Midnight Show crew. Oh, Jesus. Oh. It's this, it's this <laughs> ten of them living in this mansion in Los Feliz. It's, uh, it's a cross between Jesse from Breaking Bad, that house, with just like <laughs> the spare hardwood floor room with the couch and the PA. And also the house from Boiler Room, that movie, reminds me of that. And it's a little bit just sort of uh, overgrown frat house, but um, it's yeah. beautiful. It's an awesome place they have. It's like uh, Hamsterdam from The Wire. Yeah. Do you know that reference? Oh, I still yeah. haven't watched The Wire. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Someday. I definitely so intend to. He's basically gone from like, okay, I did the domestic thing. He did the, he I did the living with a girlfriend job, and having girlfriend. my stuff tidied away uh-huh. and bookshelves. Yeah. And now he's gone for the full-on student 
It's just the needles swung the exact opposite direction. <laughs> it's good to go ahead and get your uh, super self-destructive midlife crisis out of the way at 25, though. It is. You're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, you don't want to have that hit 10 years after that. No. Yeah, he doesn't want to be like 50. I'm like, hey, guys, just join a band. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with being an which, old guy playing in a band. Which in L.A. is like every third dude. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the house is insane. And um, the last time that I saw him in his old apartment, uh, we we met up before going to the Andrew WK show, and I thought we we're gonna hang out and and socialize, have a few drinks. But the apartment had been picked clean. It was literally just a couch, and there were four of us hanging out waiting to go to the show. So we had to three of us could sit on the couch. One person would just stand and address those three as we're just hanging out. And then he was just giving away things. I actually got a quesadilla maker, a crock pot. <laughs> um, an exercise ball that I don't think I'm ever going to use. You just looted. take it. Just take it. Yeah. I, I don't thought want you'd be making a few more quesadillas than you normally have. <laughs> I'm going to start making it. It's a lean, mean, uh, George Foreman fat-reducing quesadilla-making it, machine. So. That's the weird thing. If, if any of you guys listening don't live in Los Angeles, it's weird how normal it is here for full-grown adult men with college degrees to live like that. Oh, yeah. The, it's the sort normal. Of house living is, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a delayed adolescence thing that I'm guilty of also. I mean, like, this is a strange living situation that I'm in here. This is not... Well, it's I sweet, live, though. I lived for a good seven years in London in a house, like a big shared house of comedians. Oh, really? See, I kind of miss that I didn't come up with comics that were my age, so I didn't have this shared sort of... I didn't have a crew, you know? Like, I was already, like, out of a real job. I was 28 years old when I started, so I didn't have, like, kindred spirits that I could, like, let's go rent a house together, because I think they always thought that I was, like, the old... <laughs> engineer guy who was just hanging out at the mics. I don't know. But, um, but you know, I, I did have a period where I also like lived, I, I bought a house when I was 26 years old, which I can't believe I did. I did. And yeah, I, I, I furnished it. Like I, I bought nice things. I kept my kitchen clean. I was like a real adult for a while. And then fast forward uh, nine years and it's all, it's all falling apart. But uh, we're glad to have Mark Agee here with us. What is your domestic situation? Where, where do you live? Uh, I live in North Hollywood with uh, uh, three other comics. But yeah. you guys seem like you all act together. You acts together collectively. We uh, we act together. I said you guys seem to have your acts together. Oh, oh. You aren't living in some kind of a. You aren't living in squalor. It, it's kind of squal. It's a med- it's medium. Like we're all adults trying to do stuff, but we're definitely living super cheap. If you walk in and look, you'd be like, these guys need to improve. There are lots of life. <laughs> what is what we're trying to do? Some people, you know, aren't. But yeah, it, <laughs> no, I, I feel like you're also like a comic who takes care of himself. You work out. You're like a one of the buff performers. I, I ate salads. Yeah, eat some salads. Yeah. yeah, some fish and chicken. And uh, your roommate uh, just got cast on Whitney, I believe. Is that yeah, correct? Tone yeah, Tone Bell. I just we just found out last week he's going to be a series playing uh, Crystal Leah's high school buddy nice. slash bartender at the local pub. Awesome. Nice. So yeah, he's uh he's doing well. He'll be moving out soon. Leave abandoning us. <laughs> He's not, he's not going to like make the apartment better now that he has the sitcom money coming in. He's just going to God, God, no. It's like yeah, it's yeah. a moving on up Jefferson's kind of thing. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, so uh, we, we always ask our guests before we get started if they have any background in science. Do you have any special interest in science or did you study it at all growing up? Uh, I almost went to space camp when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing. Yeah. I mean, I love uh, like I love reading about it, but now I don't have any sort of uh, uh, laboratory background. Yeah. We, we don't need that. As long as you have a passion for science or... Uh, the ability to tolerate us talking about science for oh, is all we ask of our guests. I, I love deconstructing things down to the point where everyone realizes that they're meaningless. That's my favorite thing in the world. I just love deconstructing them to the point that everyone wishes I would leave and yeah. just like, stop the conversation. I am, uh, I'm familiar with that. I think, uh, uh, Shane was on your last episode, right? That's already, yeah. that's already went up. We were talking. We were at uh, uh, French Toast last week, and we started talking about that mating stuff, and to the point where we cleared the room, we looked up and everyone else was gone. <laughs> Oh, I'm the best at that. Just like throwing a wrench in the works of any conversation. Like, wait, wait, back up. What was that thing you were just talking about that yeah. wasn't important to the actual flow of the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. There's a small detail in that. <laughs> yeah. I'm the king of that. Oh, it's cost me relationships, I feel like. Yeah. Anyway, um, Brooks isn't here. We can't do the uh, the science pop quiz. I, I'll see if I can remember what the topics, what the questions are. Uh, I know at least two of them. Favorite scientist? Oh, man. Let's see. Um... I'm a big fan of like a behavioral economics. Like I read, I, I know it's pop culture, but the uh, the Freakonomics dudes, oh you know, yeah, Stephen yeah. Levitt and Stephen Dubner, I'm a big fan of their work. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like I like stuff like that. Did you ever get into any? Uh, did you ever? First of all, I haven't seen A Beautiful Mind, but I had I did take a game theory class in college. Uh-huh. And Nash, my, yeah, Nash Uclever, yeah. My professor uh, in this class, he had studied at Princeton, and he was like, all of his work is based on things that Nash had, had developed. And there was this crazy guy wandering around the halls of Princeton, just like unkempt. He thought he was like a janitor or something. <laughs> and he finally asked somebody after he'd been there for a long time who this guy was. Like, oh, that's 
That's Nash. That's the guy you, all your work is based on. He just still hangs out and is crazy around the halls here. For yeah. Sure. But yeah, that's and that was one of the more interesting classes I took. I think game theory. Have you did ever he, studied that? Did he kind of live in the walls and like in little secret compartments? And then, yeah, it was sort and then of help a, the nerdy kids beat the bad guys. Who, <laughs> <laughs> sort of a mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankweiler thing or yeah. uh, Night at the Museum. It's or, the National Glitter is a fascinating thing. Like uh, I was watching an interview with the guy who founded um, PayPal. Oh yeah, and he was basically saying how like the foundations, like it, 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 without referencing the national equilibrium, he was talking about how like that's the problem. With, uh, people think of capitalism as competing, and the superior product wins. But the people who get rich think of what no one's doing, and they do that. So they don't compete. Right, Com- so it's not like a zero sum game. It's like a yeah. make the pie bigger sort of thing. Yeah, because national equilibrium is all about everyone agreeing to aim for a for for second place, and then everyone ends up okay, as opposed to ever trying to crush your enemies, and then. <laughs> And then one guy wins and everyone ends up, else ends up screwed. Right, right. Yeah. Actually, I forgot the definition of what a Nash equilibrium is. That's so. That's it's about the sort of mutually beneficial point in in a, in yeah. a game kind of. The, the, the scene in the movie is when uh, uh, he realizes when everyone's fighting over the hot chick, uh-huh. and he's like, "What if none of what if we agree for none of us to hit on the hot chick and everyone just hits on the other chicks in the group and then we all get laid?" That was a real thing in the movie. That, that, that's the way they explain the Nash equilibrium in the movie. And so that's okay. that's when he has when he's trying to figure out what to write his doctoral dissertation about. That's when he has that yeah. eureka moment. He's like, oh. Oh, okay. Economics is bullshit because that's not how you be. That's not how you're successful. You don't right. aim for number one. You everyone agrees to be number two and divide up the profits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you heard that brain teaser about the uh, maybe like five or six pirates in a ship together with a certain amount of gold, and every every pirate gets to have a new plan, a proposal for how to divide up the gold, mm-hmm. and then the rest of them will vote. And if they vote yes, then they just do that. If they vote no. Pirate gets killed, thrown overboard. Next guy gets to make a proposal. Uh-huh. And assuming that all the pirates are uh, infinitely intelligent and aware of each other's intelligence, what what is the end result? What is the proposal that ends up happening? And you can actually... That's not a brain teaser. That's a true story. That <laughs> <laughs> happened to me. Yeah. But you can recursively find I know out one of those the- pirates. <laughs> <laughs> what was his name then? Oh, he didn't have a name. He just had lots of gold. <laughs> <laughs> his name was Goldie Gold the Pirate. Touche, touche. But you can actually like recursively figure out there's only one possible way that it could go down because they are all aware of what will happen if they – like what the best possible thing they can propose is that will keep them from being killed and what will happen down the line if they do propose something that doesn't happen. So, <laughs> I took a philosophy class in college. It was a morality and society, and we were talking about game theory, the prisoner's dilemma and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we had a quiz once, which is basically like everyone had to turn a, a piece of paper saying whether they – uh, co- cooperated or cheated. I forget the terminology, but that was basically it. So it was, yeah. it was a binary choice. Yeah. And if everyone cooperated, we all got uh, we all got Bs. Everyone in the class got a B. But if one person cheated and everyone else cooperated, they got an A and everyone else got an F. Yeah. Right. And so we all agreed to cooperate. And of course, five people cheated, meaning they all got Bs. They didn't get any advantage at all, but the rest of us got like D pluses or something like that. And then I did the math afterwards. Like, there's no reason not to cheat. It's just like everything else in society. Like, at, at a minimum, you end up seeing up back, the same as like you would have been if you'd if you'd gone along with the rules. Well, I think they can't really do. The idea is interesting, but it has to be a two person scenario to make it interesting because you have to have a penalty for both people going for the A. Mm-hmm. You know, where in that case, it would have been if people, it was a, if it, the thing is you had to talk other people into going along with the rules. It was like if if a majority of people cheated, then they all got Fs and everyone else got an A. So what you had to do was convince other people that you were going to go along with the rule, oh, and okay. then you cheat. Right, right, Which right. is the way, you know, uh, Mitt Romney runs the account. Exactly. <laughs> his, there was a great – I saw a clip from a show. It's a British show. I forgot what it is, but it involves turning over these balls that have different amounts of money underneath them. Have you seen mm-hmm. that, Matt? I, I, it's it's no, sort I of a very non-dealer, no-dealer, I think. But at the end, they have a, a prisoner's dilemma proposal to the two contestants who are – It's not called red or black, is it? I forgot if it is. I don't know. But there's, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of game shows I've not seen yet. There's a clip that went viral that's so great where they have yeah they can either agree to split the money. Let's mm-hmm. just say it's a let's just say it's a hundred thousand dollars. So they they agree that they'll split it and they each get fifty thousand. Um, or uh, if if one person um, wants to take it and the other person says split, um, the person who said take it gets all of it. And if they both say take it, they get none of it. Does that yeah. make sense? Okay, I think that's what it is. Yeah. Right. Basically, it behooves them to to do the the share thing. Uh-huh. Um, but they're allowed to talk to each other for about thirty seconds before they do it. And so the guy says go, and one of the guys says, "All right, I'm taking all the money. No matter what you do, I'm taking all the money. So you better 
you better click share because if you click take, we get nothing. But no matter what, I'm taking it all. And he's like, what? He's like, we're good friends, right? I'll give you a check for half of it afterwards. Like, you know I'll do that. But I'm clicking take, so don't fuck us over and click take. Just do share. And the guy's like, what are you doing? What are you, why can't we just both agree to do share? We'll just have it be shared. He's like, I'm clicking take, so if you click take, we're fucked. So you have to click share. I'm, I'm taking it all. I'm just doing it. And he's like, God damn you. And so he's like, okay, they lock it in, and they show... And they both clicked share. <laughs> so it worked. He just like made sure that his friend had <laughs> to click share. So it was the same thing he was saying. He didn't have to write the check, though, because it instantly happens. Yeah. yeah. And the audience went crazy because it was so great because his friend was so mad at him. He's like, don't be a dick. Let's just share. <laughs> like, well... You better, only, you better click share, but I'm t- doing two. That's the only way to protect yourself, though, is to make yeah, that's, yeah, that's scare the other person into yeah, yeah. But that's the, that's basically the lesson of every every moral lesson is like if you're going to be moral, you better be doing it for its own sake because you're going to end up fucked if the other guy's not. Interesting. That's the only possible reason you should be moral is just for the idea of being moral. Yeah, Kantian moral imperative, sort of like yeah. you better you better be doing it just because you because you wish the world was a better place, knowing that you're going to take it, <laughs> you're going you're going to get screwed. I don't know. Economics-wise, I always feel like there is some actual capital value to morality because there can be. I mean, there's like there's some there's some cachet in treating people well. Mm-hmm. There's some even if you're like even if you're purely greedy, like you, eventually you want to make the most money possible. There are a lot of situations where treating people well and taking the hit on money in the short term actually does make you money. I think by building reputation and by yeah. building relationships, you know, people want to be in business which, with people they can trust, but, yeah, then, yeah. but then you end up with like, uh, like the current uh, way the American economy is set up is you end up with like, uh, uh, that used to be the rule. Like this is why Wall Street's so screwed up is because the firms have figured out ways to be profitable without taking care of their customers. They're actually betting against their clients. That, right. That's what the, the, why the you know real estate market collapsed. People were, people are like, oh yeah, you should you should uh, you should invest in this. Meanwhile, the the firm itself is investing the opposite direction. Right. Or so or distributing have, the the responsibility for the risky stuff they're doing among many other people yeah. by having like the repackage. Which, which bank was it recently got screwed on that where they um they were actually selling products that they were then betting against. Um, all, well, that was basically all of them, but the most recent one, um, it was, uh, Jamie Dimon. Which one was that? Uh, uh, which one's Jamie, whichever one Jamie Dimon's bank. Cause he, he's the one that stayed out of the 2008 fray. And then, then they just got caught up in it. They just, just got caught up in it recently after being all moral and high and mighty. And then they got, they crashed like two months ago. I don't know which one that was. One, one trader lost like $2 billion or something. Jesus. It was like, it was, it was ridiculous. Cause that person must be in jail, right? No, no. He, oh, wait, that's he got right. fired that's with a right. golden parachute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's He's crazy. rich. Okay. Don't, don't you lose $2 billion again. <laughs> oh, you'll be for it. Mm, that steams me when my employees lose $2 billion. <laughs> okay, second. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, no, you go ahead. Uh, can you imagine losing $2 billion and, and then you're like, oh, well, you're fired. Okay, well, I guess I'll just cash in my stock options now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I can't actually imagine... Two billion dollars. Right. The yeah. idea. Like of $2 I can't even. Yeah. Even a million, like a million dollars in ones, would fill up. Uh, I don't know a large part of my bedroom or something. Why do people keep working? Like, like, okay, like. Uh, That's no, what I don't understand either. Yeah, I don't, I don't. No matter how much money I had, I would keep doing comedy because I like doing comedy. But I can't imagine shuffling papers around for 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 zeros in your bank account that make that mean nothing to you. Yeah. Like, I mean, how bi- Like, how many boats can you float on? You can only be on one boat at a I'm time. I'm with you. I'm with you. This actually, uh, I, think, this... I think though, however rich you are, there's always one level richer. It's always possible to be richer. I, but I can't. I just can't wait to cash out and just have free time. That's why like, I, don't, I don't think that's what motivates people that actually get to those levels. Though I don't think it's ever about having a picture of what their life's going to be once they get money. Like, and I think this actually dovetails. We'll have to cut short the pop quiz because this goes neatly into the first topic. Uh, Breaking Bad fans, either of you? Uh, yes. You caught up on it? No, I'm like four episodes behind. Uh, I'm, halfway this I'm way behind on it. I've okay. been enjoying it, but I'm a long but way But you've behind. still seen how Heisenberg, uh, Walter White, how his motivations have changed. Yeah. It's really not about money. Like, it, when he hits the dollar amount that he's shooting for, nothing changes. He just wants more. And it's not even yeah. about the money. It's about the power. It's about empire building. And like, I've always thought the same thing with, like, CEOs of big companies. Like, once you've got, once you're worth, I don't know, $100 million dollars, how how are you motivated to do anything? But it's 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 all ego. It's all the actual work. The same way you love comedy, they love either collecting money if you're if you're a pessimist or building something of worth if you're an optimist. I guess however you look at it. But they just want to work. They just want to be in power and build a thing. And it's never like a, a 
point will be reached when they're done. There, there's a the a, a roots lyric is like a uh, fuck money get freedom right like I always yeah. says money is a way to buy access to yeah. all the things you want to do like it's not a matter of like, yourself from obligation yeah yeah that's the whole point so why would you keep committing yourself to obligation like you like you, you got a hundred million dollars but you still got to get up at seven thirty every morning go to an office who gives a shit like yeah. what's the point of having a hundred million dollars but if you like the game and if you and like I say you know if you can. You might have you know you might have a Ferrari. You'll be looking at the guy with a yacht. You might have a yacht. You'll be looking at the guy with a super yacht. Right. I guess there's that's true because there you is. You can always look. You can always end up broke if you spend at the level one above well, you. Keeping up with the Joneses, I get it. There is a there's a ration where people aren't happy compared. Like people are happier if they make fifty grand in a thirty thousand dollar a year neighborhood than if they make three hundred grand in a four hundred grand a year neighborhood. Like people are just re- their happiness is all about their relative social status. I, I get that. So move to a shittier neighborhood. Like there's re- and just research. Just be the king can- of your shitty neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. It's like really shit. Yeah. <laughs> like full on ghetto. <laughs> yeah. Just go ball it in a shitty neighborhood. Go, uh, yeah, yeah. Go be. You don't only oh, you get the wire reference. But if you're Jamie Diamond, just go be Avon Barksdale in Baltimore. <laughs> just move to downtown Baltimore and be the king of it. <laughs> So here is my shitty transition. Uh, Heisenberg is the name under which Walter White sells his his meth wares, uh, taken from the scientist whose name is applied to the uncertainty principle that you guys are both familiar with uh-huh. to some extent. Um, which was uh, this was a principle formulated by Werner Heisenberg in 1927. It's one of the cornerstones of quantum mechanics, and in its most familiar form. It says that it's impossible to measure anything without disturbing it at some level. So. For instance, any attempt to measure a particle's position must randomly change its speed because you're bouncing something off of it, thereby changing some attribute of it. So in other words, the more accurate you know where something is, the less accurate you know how fast it's going. And vice right, versa. Or vice versa. You could know its speed but not its position, or its position but not its speed, because the act of observing it has some measurable impact on what you're observing. It also works for the social sciences too, right? If people that's why they're always trying to trick social like subjects of experiments into Right. Not knowing what the exper- actual experiment is. Making tests uh, user-blind. Is that the word for making things not be? Yeah. Yeah. So they don't know what it is you're testing. And that's also why reality TV sucks these days. And why the first <laughs> why the first season of The Real World was like pretty awesome. But yeah. uh, That's not the first time you made that point on this show. <laughs> <laughs> reality TV is a good example, though. It's like, like you, they could, people, is that going to be real when people know they're fucking on camera? Yeah. <laughs> they're that's not also behaving. why the Up series, if you see, and I think I've talked about this many times, 7 Up and 7 and 7 and 21 Up, all those movies. I don't know if I've seen there's, a, there's a film series by Michael Apted where he's followed the same group of 20 or so British people from the age of seven on now they're 56 oh, years old. Oh, documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, every seven years he checks in with them. And because they started it back in the 60s, it was kind of before cameras were so ubiquitous that you know everyone was hyper aware of, of the idea of being on camera. It just felt more real. Like you were getting uh-huh. a more honest read on what these people's lives were like because they didn't grow up in this camera-saturated world. Anyway, the point of all this was to get back to um, the fact that there are certain aspects of uh, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle upon which doubt has been cast. Um, The principle has bedeviled quantum physicists for nearly a century until recently when researchers at University of Toronto demonstrated the ability to directly measure the disturbance and confirm that Heisenberg was maybe too pessimistic. Um, they They designed an apparatus to measure the property of polarization of a single photon, and then uh, they needed to measure how much that apparatus disturbed that photon, said Lee Rosima, a PhD candidate in Professor Ephraim Steinberg's quantum optics research group at U of T. Um, To do this, they needed to measure the photon before the apparatus, um, but that, that measurement would also disturb the photon. So to overcome that, they employed a technique known as weak measurement, wherein the action of a measuring device is weak enough to have an imperceptible impact on what is being measured. So before each photon was sent to the measurement apparatus, the researchers measured it weekly and then measured it again afterwards, comparing the results, and they found the disturbance induced by that measurement was less than Heisenberg's precision disturbance relation would require. So, so what does the weak measuring involve? Exactly. They weren't totally clear on that, but we're just supposed to believe there's a way of weakly measuring something where you Wait. don't affect it Were they as... just looking at it through their fingers? Are <laughs> <laughs> no, we not looking properly? <laughs> just having a little peek. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. That's the thing is like I'm just a, a dummy with an uh, uh, an English degree, but like uh, your control group for that is something that you're not measuring, which seems right. to be a, a problem. Like it's like oh, we know we know it's the same as the thing we aren't measuring. Well, how do you know? Well, I take our word for it. The, the how the way they know is volume by volume because I think they were just doing enough measurements that well, they said each shot only gave us a tiny bit of information about the disturbance, but by repeating the experiment many times, mm. we were able to get a very good idea about how much their photon so, was disturbed. So they gradually approached zero and got close as they can right. to it and noted the difference between like point 
zero one and point zero two. It sounds it like much. that. Okay. It sounds like that. And to be honest, I don't fully understand it, but it's just interesting because I just sort of thought of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle as one of those things that was just an, an immutable fact at this point that wasn't even being debated. But evidently, it's been uh, years now that different scientists have been challenging it, um, including a physicist named Masano Ozawa, who suggested in 2003 that the principle doesn't apply to measurement, but can only suggest an indirect way to confirm his predictions. So people have been theorizing this, and this is a recent development. They were actually able to sort of have some evidence that there are some some chinks in the armor of the uncertainty principle. Hmm. Not the most glamorous story we've ever done, but uh, I do love Breaking Bad, and I love that that's the name <laughs> by which Walter White comes. What are you uncertain about in life, Matt? Oh, well, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure about, you know, where I am. How just, fast you're just moving? I don't know how fast. <laughs> <laughs> you just stepped on it. You don't know, know how fast you're going exactly? Yeah, no, I know exactly. I know exactly where I am. I, I don't know. I don't. I know. I've got no idea what I'm doing in any. <laughs> I do like that you just got off a plane from England and agreed to come straight to this recording. Yeah, I, if if I'm a, if I'm a little bit slurrier than normal, that's I, how much this podcast means to you. Is that every two months you will come yeah. on once? You just, you just got off what a, a ten hour flight from the world's drunkest place. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a bit more than ten hours because we was we sat on the runway for a while. So yeah, I've jeez. I've, I've been sat on a plane for a while. It's the international flight, which means free drinks, right? Uh, it does, but I don't drink on planes because it's not smart. I've learned that. Yeah, yeah. it is. I've learned now. It's kind of oh, it's free. I can have as many. No, but I'll feel really shit for it. And how much is it? How much is a few <laughs> micro-sized cans of Heineken really worth? Right. <laughs> yeah. My feeling shit for two days. I mm. saved ten dollars <laughs> exactly. an entire day on a drink I didn't really need <laughs> yeah. anyway. They gave me no. Yeah, it's just the idea that you can have the free drinks that makes you feel special yeah. on those international flights. They do treat you better, I feel like, on international versus domestic flights. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they, 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 still, they still give you most stuff for free on the international flights, yeah. whereas increasingly every, that, <laughs> every single aspect of the domestic ones, they make you pay for everything. That's an interesting like, uh, aspect of human behavior. This is more of a science podcast, but like, I, I, there are many nights where I've gone out with the intent of not drinking, and they're like, oh, it's free. I'm like, oh, well, well, that well I should definitely kill myself if it's free. Oh, well, common, common <laughs> clubs for starters. Like, the yeah. second, you know, you do a, the number of places where they give you... Mm. Um, well, it depends. Like some comedy the clubs, nice they give you like an the open. The ones where they don't give you drink tickets. The ones where they, it's the open bar. Totally, yeah. but I find drink tickets even worse because when it's an open bar, you kind of go, "Oh, well, I, I can have as much or as little as I like, and it's fine." What, but some clubs where they kind of there's <laughs> like one a chain in the UK where they used to give you three drinks tokens. So you felt obligated to drink, and you three. sort of go, "Well, if I <laughs> if I don't have three drinks, I'm essentially cutting my fee." Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, if I, if I don't They're have paying more, me less. If, if I, I don't, don't trade in these three bits of paper, then yeah, yeah they are getting away with paying me less money. F- the, the agreed fee was this amount of money plus three beers. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's an economics experiment. Yeah, find out the number of drink tickets that you have to give out before people will start to we'll be stop. rational with their use of them and be like, wait a second, I don't want seven with, drinks. I don't with, care with, that they're free. With comics, you got to get over 10, especially yeah, road yeah. comics. you got to get over 10. And they can't give them to other people. Like You can only use them yeah. yourself or they go away and they don't roll yeah. over from one night to the next. You can't like, transfer them to a girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. See, some of the, that chain I was talking about, some of, some of them would let you take away some bottles of beer or even trade oh. in three of them for a bottle of wine that you could take home. So that was, mm. then I'd just do that and go, okay, fine. I'm not drinking tonight, Smart. but I have a bottle of wine at home for when I want a bottle of yeah. wine. But, That's pretty cool. But the ones that didn't let you do that, almost in like I, I, I sort of, I get anxious. Like I said, if I wasn't if I wasn't drinking, if I had to drive, I sort of like I'd be looking around for someone I could give them to, like, <laughs> like one of the other comics or just an audience member, just like just drink, just drink yeah. these. Yeah, exactly. It's They're going to waste. Think it's not going to get used. It's yeah. a, it's like it, yeah, I, I'm very familiar with the sunk cost fallacy, but it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. No. It's still it's it's basic human like your your brain just like your animal brain is like this is mine. I it's mine. Yeah. I must have mine. That's the same reason yeah. I, can't, I I can't be trusted with buffets. I cannot. Yeah. I'm 35 years old. I can't be trusted in a buffet because I have to stay until I'm convinced that I have won. I will. I will clean I've my won. plate. I've, yeah. I've eaten until more you, than I paid for. Yeah. Until you sort of go. Well, okay. That that costs twelve dollars. So, what amount of food would I get in a regular restaurant for that money? 
Yeah, if you think of it that All way, you'll just get a regular. Oh, that's, that's a decidedly un-American attitude. Yeah. We, we think with, like, I paid $12, but I get to have as much yeah. as I can physically cram in my fat suit. How many paste. crab legs and expensive things can I put on my plate yeah. to make sure you guys take a loss? And also, you don't think about, like you said, for the drinks on the plane, like, it, what is it worth for me to feel like garbage the rest of the night, to yeah. have to just sit down the rest of the night? Yeah. There's no amount of money that makes that I, okay. Especially, it's like, like we, oh, I don't want it to go to waste. Well, it, like, if it just gets stored as fat, it's going, unless you're, that's like, good. unless you're going to hibernate or it's winter coming in. Like a cold in yeah. Antarctica, it's going to waste. Yeah, without because like on a plane as well, you're going to drink some and then you're going to sleep for a bit and then you're going to wake up hungover. Yeah. It's not like you can sort of. It's not like we have the ability to to sort of store the booze, delay and then, the gratification yeah. of the drink. I'm going to chug five beers now. Then I'm going to going to land. Yeah, gonna go through customs, going to get to my destination, then go out to a party tonight, and then I'm going to press the button on the side of my stomach, and, <laughs> and I'll get Activate. drunk. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Like, like, I wish like evolution was that you could just concentrate and make your body grow something like you, you could really use. Because I would, I would get a camel hump for booze. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it there it though. Later. I think I would put, I'd find a better place than my back. But yeah, yeah. the idea of a booze hump is a great. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd, my I'd go for something day. slightly more aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> 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 They do make. Hey, they stick do with make, me, uh, baby. Check out my hump. Who needs to be good looking when you're drunk? <laughs> <laughs> they do make various kinds of uh, ways of sneaking booze into sporting events that yeah. are like either like a beer belly thing that's actually a bladder full of booze. They make a thing for women that's like a padded Preg- bra. They make a pregnant thing too, or a pregnant right? Yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah. Or even the opposite. There's like a leg catheter pee bag you could take to the stadium with you. It's called a stadium buddy, so you can just uh, you can just take a leak wherever you are, like a gentleman would, you know. <laughs> while you're watching your favorite sports sporting team. Is that is that in a www.endofhumanity.com? <laughs> I think it's just stadiumbuddy.com, literally. Check it out. It's uh, it's kind of an ingenious design. Yeah. Given up on life.biz. <laughs> <laughs> Org net and com were taken. We had to grab something. Yeah. yeah. Given up on life.gov. We invent ways to smuggle drugs into places, and then when you can't, when you, if you can't pass your pee test the next day at work, you can attach a prosthetic penis that is filled with clean urine. Yeah. The Wizenator. That exists, too. It, really? Yeah, yeah. You, they, they, Wizenator. Google Wizenator. You could, like, it, they have it different colors depending on your race or ethnicity. Oh you, can, you can have, they can attach it, a fake penis with a blood, with, with clean urine in it. Because some of those tests, they actually have to see it come out of you, right? Yeah. So they're saying this could pass for a human yeah. penis. Yeah. Because like, no one's going to look that closely at your dick. They just want to oh see something vaguely dick shaped and it's, it's like a plastic. <laughs> something dick like out of the corner of their eye. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're not. They're not <laughs> what if they send you the black one by mistake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to touch this uh, for jokes. Yeah, it's too easy. Not that funny. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think of a non-hacky way to make a giant black dick joke, yeah, but I was just yeah, yeah, yeah. pitch go. <laughs> let, let the listeners fill in the blanks on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any topics for us, Matt? Oh yeah. Well, here's one. Um, uh, okay. So there's a new theory on to what may have caused the death of Tutankhamun. Uh, his mysterious death of the teenager that's been it's King Tut for the layperson yeah we did we call, uh, how do you, is that how the British say it uh, uh, Tutankhamun I don't or Tutankhamun we say Tutankhamun uh, yeah, for a lot of different ways yeah, yeah. I mean uh, like none of us will round to see we, how they tut, pronounced it we don't know tut, I'm just tutty. making guesses Tutty we call him Tutty yeah, how did Tutty die Tuts in the Maytals that's just sort of one of those ones who just you know one of the people who always pronounce foreign words in in the accent oh yeah <laughs> One of my favorite SNL sketches, Jimmy Smith's. Did you ever see that one in the eighties? No. When everything has to be two. He's like a newsman talking about a tornado that's coming through, <laughs> ravaging. Um, so, to, so King Tut's his uh, his tomb. Uh, so he got ra- got discovered in nineteen twenty two, uh, but the cause of his death uh, is unsure. There's been a different theories: murder, leprosy, tuberculosis, malaria, sickle cell anemia, a snake bite. Or maybe he fell from his chariot. Um, this uh, new guy, this guy Hutton uh, Ashrafian, who's a surgeon with an interest in medical history at Imperial College London, has a new theory. He says they've missed one vital point. Uh, apparently, he died young with a feminized physique, and mm. so did his immediate predecessors. Um, uh, both, like him and his. Uh, Semen Kari, who's an enigmatic pharaoh who may have been his uncle or older brother, and the and the, and his father as well, they had feminized figures with unusually large breasts and wide hips, hmm. according to portraits from the time. Um, and they all died young, which suggests um, some kind of inherited disorder. Um, and it's been suggested by this guy that a form of epilepsy, hmm. in which um, uh, uh which seizures begin in the brain's temporal lobes 
uh, maybe into cause because there's another factor that um, Tutankhamun has known uh, that two, oh, two of the five related fairies had stories of religious visions associated with them. Hmm. And this form of epilepsy can cause hallucinations and religious visions, particularly after exposure to sunlight. I love that that's an actual symptom, a medical symptom, is religious visions. Um, and that, that bit of the brain also controls certain hormone levels. Uh, the levels of hormones might have, that are involved in sexual development might have explained the large breasts. Um, a seizure might also be to blame for Tutankhamun's fractured leg. There's a few things that are... Wow. I'm not familiar with this form of epilepsy. It makes you grow sweet titties. <laughs> Uh, I've met some pretty epileptic girls in my time. <laughs> I'm not. It's funny to me though. You're like it's like that. Uh, uh, like too mi- too much religious belief. That guy's got a mental disorder. Yeah. But it's like a regular medical. That guy does totally. Like this guy's crazy. He be- he believes a lot in God, guys. He must have something wrong with his brain. But this guy's like forty percent as much. You should follow him and give him money. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, here's an interesting. What if it came out Jesus had epilepsy? And he- yeah, he's talking about God the whole time because of yeah. Well, here's another. Here's another. Um, on the subject to Jesus and modern religions in general, um, his father, Tut's father, um, Akhenaten. Akhenaten. Yeah. Akhenaten. Uh had a major vision they all had visions at various times but this guy had a major vision uh that encouraged him to raise the status of a minor deity called the sun disk or aten into a supreme god abandoning the ancient egyptian polytheistic traditions to start what is thought to be the earliest recorded monotheistic religion and it's all because of uh, a problem in his temporal lobe. Well, if this guy's theory is correct, then yes his religious experiment and tutankhamun's premature death both may be in a result of uh, temporal lobe epilepsy uh, and so being exposed if, to sunlight. So if a guy with with a sweet rack and some nice <laughs> ladylike hips starts telling you about how there's only one god and not many, uh-huh. you maybe should hook him up to an MRI or something before you blindly follow him. Yeah, apparently so. Some... There's no genetic test for that form of epilepsy, so they'll never know for sure. If they did CAT scans uh, a couple millennia ago, we could be living in a uh, post-religious utopia, I guess. Yeah, yeah and, all, and also... How incredible would that have been if they had CAT scans 2,000 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We could probably be into some space travel by now. Yeah, you know what? If I the was Mayans a- had CAT scans. You yeah, know, they, oh, yeah, they totally. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, they don't want, they don't want, the government doesn't want you to know, but the Mayans had CAT scans. You know what? If I, was a, if, if I were in um, sort of 2,000 years ago, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, where, like anywhere around there, and I, um, I encountered someone with a CAT scan... I'd probably follow that guy. <laughs> In fact, even a, a cigarette lighter would probably be enough. For you to be like, You're my new god. Yeah, you can, definitely that would come in handy. Like, oh, but you, this guy can make fire. Yeah. Like, it's like you just quit. You like, put will. those sticks down. This guy's going to save us six hours a day. He's a yeah, but you know, see, he also is like he's getting cross-sectional pictures of the brain. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means, but look at the fire hands. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That is nuts. So basically, sissification was the cause yeah. of death for I, King Tut. He was. I, I think we've learned is that Andy and I prefer practical deities. Matt likes the crazy, entertaining ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just keep it reasonable, deities. Yeah, mm-hmm. that might have led to monotheism. That's an insane. That's an insane concept. Like, what if that was really the thing that sparked the, the whole concept and the first monotheistic religion? It was all. Yeah, it's like um, well, the first recorded one. Right, right, right. It's sort of the same way of, of uh, thinking about. I was just reading about, um, I should have read this article, it's actually fascinating, about uh, pedophilia as a sexual orientation, which is obviously a very dangerous road to go down because it starts to uh, make this thing that's that's obviously the most reviled set, subset of people on earth become sort of, you know... Sympathetic. Sympathetic, yeah, but... Um, but th- and think about... I'm sorry, go ahead, finish the... Well, I was just going to say, part of it, there are certain patterns they find in every man who has this tendency. And first of all, they were saying, you know, you can have this tendency and not act on it, and therefore maybe you know, yeah. you're not inherently bad. You're just... You have that d- misfortune of being, of being wired to be attracted to something that is yeah. horribly taboo. Um, but the, that head injuries are, are correlated with this a lot of times, mm. as are... Uh, there's a number of different things when they do cross-sectional analysis of, of these men, but... Um, I remember that didn't uh, didn't uh, John Wayne Gacy get hit in the head, or at mm. least according to the Sufjan Stevens lyric, didn't he get hit in the head with a swing set really hard when he was a kid? 
And like, what if that was the reason that like 20, no, 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 twenty-seven he was people a kid died? Who was playing the swing set? Oh, okay, that's why. <laughs> but seriously, like a little thing like that might have ended up causing the death of you know almost thirty people because yeah. something was just knocked loose in his brain. And now he wants to have sex with boys and kill them. More so. people have died from smaller accidents, smaller coincidences. Yeah, but it's like, that's true. But it, but in it, like like it's it sound people don't like to talk about these things out loud, but like for uh, for, for moral reasons. But like you know like, but isn't it fairly obvious though? Like like say like there's a, there's a, say there's there's people who. Um, are sexually attracted to children, right? Right. And there's people who are sociopaths uh, who don't care if they hurt others. And yeah. in that, where those Venn diagrams overlap, therein lie pedophiles. There's got to be a bunch of other people who are kind of attracted right. to kids who know it's wrong, but who know well, they, no, they you're, can't you're, hurt. The definition of pedophile is the people who are just attracted, even yeah. if they don't act on it. So you're saying the yeah. actual like sexual yeah. predators, I Maybe guess, like, would be that like, overlap. The rapists are are, are tra- they're, like they're heter- like guys who rape women are heterosexual, just like us. Right, but they also are sociopaths. Yes. Yeah. So there's a, like there's a, I, I know people get a, offended with anything that sort of makes pedophilia sound more human, but like it was, sexuality is well, so primal and wiring. Yeah, like the same thing with like just, people are born gay. People are born, like I couldn't choose to have sex with a man anymore. Like I mean, yeah. I guess I can make it happen if there's a like a briefcase with a couple hundred million dollars <laughs> in the table, but it wouldn't be something I would like be into. But that is a, it is a weird like where what is the category that pedophilia falls in? Like what. Right. Is it a mental illness? Is it a, like I don't? I I do feel genuinely sorry for people who oh, do course. have those feelings and don't act on them. Yeah, because you know I, that's, I remember, the, that's the hardest life imaginable. I remember reading an article about a guy like that oh, a few months back, and yeah, it was, yeah, he's in this position where the only thing he's at, he's attracted to, he knows he can never act on. Yeah, and he right. can never. It's like Marcus Bachman, like the the pray out your gay thing. It's like he's forcing himself to be in a, a like totally unfulfilling. Like a non-sexual relationship. Yeah, except he, for yeah. obviously he's imposing that entirely himself, and his yeah, actual yeah. sexual orientation is entirely legitimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because but but the the, the reason that is is because other adult men can consent. Like they that that's why I make you I mean like you go 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 have at it because the two of you can yeah. both say I'm cool with this. Whatever your fetish is, as long as it doesn't yeah. hurt somebody and exactly. isn't against their yeah. But I mean, I think it but might that's, even again be... why you need to be careful because you know sexual preference, sexual orientation isn't a fetish. That's yeah. Oh, right. But I mean, well, it's a fine line between a fetish and orientation, I think. And that's not a bad thing to say that. Like, well, you're attracted to. Yeah. What you're, but I'm saying, what, whether you, we can deem certain acts wrong as a society, I think, if we agree that they're harmful or that the people aren't mm-hmm. consenting. But I mean, I don't think you can deem any actual thoughts that yeah. people can't control as, as wrong. Or I, I, don't, I don't think you can. Like, personally, if I somebody. Mean, you can't control what you're attracted to. You shouldn't act on certain things because they've agreed to that. But like you, you're into what you're into. Kind yeah. of. It's, you're... I mean, the difference between like a mugging and a donation is that one party <laughs> doesn't want to do it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it... <laughs> but anyway, the article was just interesting because if we looked at it from this angle, it might be better for society because we could actually be treating these people and helping them control mm. their urges instead of just demonizing the very thought that somebody yeah. exists who has these thoughts. But anyway, that wasn't. Well, that, I mean, that's again the real problem where people who do have those feelings have almost nowhere to turn yeah they're to, so reviled because yeah. to, to even admit it to someone to go i have this real problem and i need treatments i need help yeah opens them up to extreme mm-hmm. danger prejudice yeah um alienation yeah right anyway enough about uh humanizing pedophiles um, <laughs> i actually want to talk about an email i got from a friend of mine uh from college who is he's actually gone the full route he's become a for real scientist i believe he has a phd in um some form of chemistry, and he, and he still <laughs> manages to listen to the podcast and not get infuriated by it, which is great. Um, but he wrote in after our episode, I believe in mid-August, when we talked about the effects that, um, that being on a strange sleep cycle can have for your health. We talked about how shift workers are um, many times more susceptible to, I believe it was heart disease and um, all kinds of health risks. And he wrote in because in the lab where he's working, uh, a friend of his is working on something sort of related to this and related to circadian rhythms, which he believes do have a big impact on, on health. And uh, when you're exposed to daylight, the, the blue wavelength that hits the back of your eye activates a photoreceptor called melanopsin, and then neurons from there send signals to the hypothalamus, which then um, ultimately cause the release of a number of hormones. And uh, melatonin is thought to be the principal circadian rhythm hormone that regulates cycles, and that's released during the night. Um, but the part that he thought was really cool is that it turns out individual cells use these hormones to regulate this innate circadian rhythm within the cell. So cells themselves on an individual level have their own clocks that are innate to them. 
um, and those are broken down in this predictable 24-hour cycle. Um, there are lots of those, and they're called clock proteins. They allow the cells to synchronize um, all the activities contained within. And uh, this guy did a study on mice to see how the, the variations in their built-in clocks, like these cellular clocks, affected their health. And the way they did that was by keeping um, mice in, uh, let's see what they do. They wanted to see whether um, mice with an innate 24-hour cycle live longer than mice with cycles that deviate, whether like 23.5 or 24.5 hours. And they can measure that by leaving the mice in total darkness for a couple of weeks because normally mice are active at night. And if you keep a running wheel in their cage, you'll see when they're active. Um, and usually they would be active, you know, 12 hours on, 12 hours off. But uh, when they kept them in total darkness and then observed how they behaved and what sort of cycles they fell into naturally, they saw that the uh, the mice that were, let's see, um, he found the mice whose innate period was closer to 24 hours lived longer than those mice whose innate period deviated from 24 hours. So they found that having an innate period that matches up with the actual thing you're experiencing in the world, which we live on a planet where it's 24-hour day, that's a huge uh, health benefit to you. And having anything that varies from that can put you at risk for all kinds of other illnesses. So mm-hmm. if your built-in clock is off by some, even a tiny amount, it actually, uh, well, actually they couldn't, they can't say for certain whether it's better to have specifically a 24-hour innate period or if it's just better to have your period match up with what you experience, which in our case on Earth is 24 hours. So... Thought that was kind of interesting. Thank you, Eric Williams, for writing in. <laughs> so Maybe that was too long of an explanation. But so if they move those mice to another planet where they have shorter or longer days, they'd be hopeless <laughs> unless they move them to the right planet for their personal mm-hmm. built-in we clock have, cycle. But as far as applying to humans, like we're, we're, our soup cycles are so screwed up. Like with, I mean, right. a, a man-made light and caffeine, and are you familiar with the first sleep, second sleep thing? No, what's that? Um, like because we're so detached from the way people used to sleep. Apparently, throughout most of human history, and if you read old like uh, like Chaucer and stuff, they'll reference first sleep and second sleep. Apparently, it was normal. Like people would go to bed when the sun went down, mm-hmm. and then wake up around midnight, and you know have a snack or visit neighbors. That's when people would have sex, and then they would go back to sleep until dawn. It was the natural human sleep cycle was to sleep for like four hours and get up for two hours and go back to sleep for four hours. Wow. That is actually meant to be quite a healthy way to go about it. It's yeah. not a bad thing if you wake up in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Particularly, like, if you do wake up in the middle of the night and just rather than go, ah, oh, damn, I'm awake now, I'm going to be up for eight, just, you know, do a few things, potter mm-hmm. around, read, to, read for a while, mm-hmm. and then doze off again. In- yeah. So I right. wonder how they, they all just happened to, obviously they weren't like setting alarms or something, so they just got on some rhythm where it just happened organically? Like yeah. They would just wake up on their own. The natural the thing, yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's, like my sister's got an infant, and she was like, oh, she's reverse cycling. I'm like, no, she's she's sleeping normally. You're the one who's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't, nobody tells a kid when to wake up, but like if you, uh, but I mean, like we all make ourselves stay up to like midnight and then try to make ourselves wake up at, at six. And it's Speak like this. Speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> But it's this like weird, very unnatural pattern we're in, and we and then we self-medicate. Like we take uppers to stay awake. Caffeine. I just had an energy drink on the way over here, and then night to go to sleep. We have a glass of wine. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not like a this, natural thing to do, I guess, is it? Yeah, we're the low rent Michael Jackson space. <laughs> we take our go-go juice in the morning, and yeah. then our, have you guys seen Honey Boo Boo Child? No, you know, but yeah, just half it was a half Mountain Dew, a half, half Red, Red Bull, half Red yeah. Bull, half Mountain Dew. Yeah, <laughs> oh god. And that that show, her her own show, uh, out the the ratings beat the uh, Obama's speech at the DNC. Jesus, it's uh, great. Are you familiar with Honey Boo Boo Child? I'm no, oh, hang on, I'm aware of this. Her toddlers and Tierra's breakout star has got her own yeah, show. Here, here comes yeah. Honey Boo Boo. I think is in yeah. yeah. I don't know that. I don't pretend to be that informed on in these things because it's <laughs> awful to even have to know about these things. Yeah, and she gave a rival speech. She gave a great. <laughs> I will say it was a, it was a speech for the ages. Yeah, uh, I just say I'm uh, kind of in favor of her position on healthcare, capital gains taxes. <laughs> She's got some interesting stances on uh, school lunch programs. She thinks she should be She's more favor. Yeah. more, more go go juice uh, <laughs> mandatory. <laughs> More lunch, just more lunch. Just more lunch. She's also a pretty big kid. Yeah. Like, not to be mean, but I kind of can't believe she wins all these pageants if they're conforming to the normal standards for what uh, pageants are about. Yeah. Which might not be actually. What's that's pretty. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's these maybe these baby beauty pageants have an incredibly positive body image. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or they're just better at reflecting the reality of American life. Yeah. Which, which is that? Oh, I feel like we brought it down. Matt, do you have another story for us? Uh, yeah, well, actually, this is this relates to the same thing you're talking about with circadian rhythms. It, it's just because of the way the experiment was um, uh, taken. Um, here's a new theory that 
from a new computer model that the placebo effect, which um, we're all familiar with, and there's a lot of there's you know huge amounts of experimental evidence to back up that the placebo effect is very real mm-hmm. and quite specific as well. You know, it's not just like oh, you pretend to take medicine and uh, and you'll feel better. Like there's very firstly measurable improvements from placebos, and secondly, specific different types of placebos have different effects. Mm-hmm. You know, like f- red red pills are more effective than blue pills for really, for, yeah, I didn't for, know that. for getting rid of headaches. And there's there's also you know a, a, wow. a fake injection is has more of an effect than a fake tablet, mm-hmm. and and so like the you know the placebo effect is very real and very well measured, but not very well understood. Yeah, and one of the things that's not very well understood is how how the body made it happen, why we have it, why it exists as a thing. Yeah, and here's a new theory that um, an evolutionary um, explanation. Uh, suggests that the immune system has an on-off switch controlled by the mind. Um, and it started off with this observation that something similar to the placebo effect occurred in lots of animals. Uh, this is from Peter Trimmer, a biologist at the University of Bristol. Uh, for example, Siberian hamsters do little to fight an infection if the lights above their lab cage mimic the short days and long nights of winter. Hmm. But changing the lighting pattern to give the impression of summer causes them to mount a full, uh, full immune response. Um... And the reason, the reason for that is that the immune system is costly to run. Like, it's costly in terms of energy and, and uh, body resources. Um, so a strong and sustained response could dangerously drain an animal's energy reserves. So as long as the infection is not lethal, lethal it pays to wait for a sign that fighting it will not endanger the animal in other ways. Huh. So it has the ability to turn it on and off. Um, and likewise, those people who think they're taking a drug but are really p- receiving a placebo can have a response which is twice that of rece- those who receive no pills. Um, so, so it's just tricking your body. So there is, like, there's not a built-in immune system. There's, there's, or there's not a. The immune system can amp up or turn down uh, depending on what what's called for. And yeah, well, his the placebo uh, can sort of trigger that same thing that this fake light environment triggered in these. Yeah, uh, that's a connection. There is we're all we're all we're all trying to tell our bodies. No, we know. Like, I don't want to wait for you to do what you're supposed to do. Can we just <laughs> yeah, make well, here's, me feel good now? Yeah. Here's what they they say. Here's what hum- Nicholas Humphrey, who's the retired psychologist who originally posited this idea, that's now been backed up by Trimmer and his computer model. Um, the Siberian hamster consciously, subconsciously acts on a cue that it is summer, um, because food supplies to sustain an immune response are plentiful in the summer, so they. So they'll trigger it. Uh, so they, um, similarly, we subconsciously respond to treatment, even a sham one, because it comes with assurances that'll weaken the affection, allowing our immune response to succeed rapidly without straining the body's resources. Whereas otherwise, your body would sort of inherently believe it wouldn't be worth the effort because it might not actually be able to beat the thing. Yeah, and just sort of wait it out until. It's so much logic to give to a subconscious mechanism, isn't it? I like, know. This resource, this immune system is like thinking about it like we could fight this thing, but oh, what if we don't win and it's going to take a lot of the food that we're not getting or something? <laughs> Then plus they're getting lots of the food. Trust me, especially here. Well, this computer simulation is built on this assumption that animals animals need to fight, need to spend vital resources on fighting low level infections. So the model revealed that in challenging environments, the animals lived longer and had more offspring if they endured infections without mounting an immune response. Oh. But in more favorable environments, it was best for animals to mount an immune response and return to health as quickly as possible. So the results show a clear evolutionary. Be- Benefits to switching the immune system on and off depending on the environmental conditions. Interesting. So wait, if you- so so basically, you know, if in the animal situation, if it's if it's you're in harsh conditions, if it's winter time, so there's not much food around and there's not much daylight, yeah, and you have some kind of infection, the body kind of the body subconsciously knows, you know what, we could fight this, but we're better off using our resources to stay alive longer and that'll give us more chance to pass on the genes to a future generation yeah whereas if it's summer and it's warm and food is plentiful then your body kind of goes no we can we can deal with this and we can properly beat this and recover yeah so in the, in the words of my dad it's just the sniffles suck it up pussy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that just seems strange though because i mean how you would think that something that isn't fought off would eventually kill you. But not necessarily, not if it exceeds actually... your natural lifespan. I mean, that, there's, a, there's, a, there's a parallel with this in terms of, um, at the moment, we're over-testing for certain diseases. The full body scans for cancer and everything that are currently popular. Mm-hmm. 
can actually cause unnecessary treatment. There's um. Because uh, you're definitely going to find something. Well, you've heard we of talked, body we band, talked yeah. about this. We did I, I talk think, about this. Yeah, yeah. we talked about this on prostate a pre- cancer, wasn't it? Probably, and, it, and there's other cancers as well. Where it's a lot of people that you know, a large number of people who die of natural causes of old age will die with cancer in their body that was undetected, untreated, and had no effect on their lifespan. But if that it would have if they lived to 140 been a but, problem but, or yeah something. exactly but yeah. you know but by the age of 90 or whatever when they died naturally they you know they might yeah. have had like loads of cancer in their body that was never detected yeah uh, but, but that you, wasn't what killed them they killed them just because they were 90 they just they died because de- they were 90 if they detected it the chemo would have killed but if them they detect exactly yeah. if they detected it five years ago then they would have started treating it uh-huh. and that would have actually shortened the lifespan further yeah. than just leaving it alone and I think that's what this is similar to so with you know these hamsters with other animals kind of go well look these these creatures they could fight off this illness or but the fight itself could be the, so costly the fight itself that, could be so costly yeah. in energy that actually it's going to inhibit their ability to live longer mate and pass on their genes to a future generation which is what right. evolution It'd be is like fundamentally driving you to do if their immune system invaded iraq right It'd be like it's like not worth the fucking fight <laughs> exactly because they're going to get it's going to last a lot longer than they thought and yeah exactly it's just they're like, not going to find the weapons of mass illness they're not going to yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a bad um, idea, but also, but because, of, but this then suggests that um, that might go some way to explain the placebo effect, uh, because it it shows that the body's like it's worth fighting. We're gonna we're gonna decide that this is exactly and that evolution. So, because of that reason, our bodies have evolved to have a mechanism whereby other factors can turn on or off the immune system and can prompt the immune system or not. Um, right. Someone else said at the bottom of this article, it's an intriguing idea, but points out there are many different placebo responses depending on the disease. So it's unlikely a single mechanism explains them all. Yeah, because so obviously the concept, the concept of medicine doesn't exist for any other species, I would think. Unless, well, no, that's not true. I guess there are some animals that do self-medicate, aren't there? That, 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 yeah, that is true, but it, it's more about, like, it's more that that animal experiment and that computer model on the animal just shows that mammals have... Mammals have at some point evolved the ability to have this thing to have something something on. control the immune system and control the strength yeah. of the immune reaction beyond simply whether there's a disease in your body. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's, have you guys ever fallen for uh, any kind of placebo-related things? Um, whether it's whether it's maybe your friend gave you some drug when you were growing up that wasn't a real... No, we did. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, we did trick my friend's cousin into thinking he'd just give him a sheet of paper and told him it was acid. <laughs> we didn't even know where to get acid. Uh, <laughs> but he just he, he took it and started tr- air quote Whoa! tripping. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was just pretending to be tripping. How bad? Did, what, what kind of stuff did he do? He was talking about seeing trails. It was just hilarious. We never we never told him to this day. It's just uh. like... <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like... Uh, but I, like if I'm in a bad mood, just uh, just holding a cocktail makes me feel better. <laughs> I know it's sad to say out loud, but no, just no. like, but just like you, you pour whiskey and put it in my hand, and I'll just walk around a party and be in a good mood. <laughs> just like a tumbler with your hand underneath it, just kind of jiggling it, Don yeah. Draper style. Yeah, exactly. Whiskey rocks. I like it. What's your whiskey of choice? Uh, my favorite one currently is the uh, Bullet Rye. Ever- oh, that is good. Yeah. Yeah. See, so that's the thing. Like in America, cocktail can mean any kind of mixed drink, like spirits mm-hmm. in a mixer. Whereas in Britain, cocktail specifically means like more convoluted drinks with with umbrellas and things. Or yeah, what? like that would just uh, be a mixed like you know, like whiskey and coke or whatever would just be a mixed drink. That wouldn't yeah. be a cocktail. Ah. So when you say cocktail a- in my hat, yeah, I was yeah I was envisaging <laughs> I was envisaging pink martini glass with an umbrella on a. That sounds good too. Would you get, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, is the benefit of having that in your hand outweighed by the fact that you're seen with that in your hand? <laughs> Is that effect also the social aspect of the drink you're ordering? Yeah. By the way, I am. Get, I've gotten to the age where I am unashamed of ordering anything that tastes good to me at a given time. Like mm. I'll order a cider sometimes at a bar, and I'll get shit is for it. Shameless about cider? There's shame. It's not like it's a Zima. I'll order a Zima sometimes. You order a Zima when I go to when I go to Ralph's. They got the special. You get four six packs, like a deep discount. So I have to get four whenever I go. <laughs> One of them is usually like a Smirnoff Ice variant because sometimes you want a raspberry burst. Sometimes. You know, I think, you feel like, I think I've seen you drink one of those at one of your pool parties. Yep. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, the rest of them are good. You know, I get like the whole garden and spotting and stuff, but like sometimes you want a girly drink. You want yeah. something that tastes like a melted Jolly Rancher. <laughs> it's not always bad. No, I like to get diabetes and drunk simultaneously. Oh, if you can do it at the same time, that's a win-win. Yeah. Matt, what's your favorite drink? Favorite drink? Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty dull with that. I'll, I'll go with a nice beer and then maybe switch to rum and, dark rum and coke. 
Nice. Rum and Coke. I haven't had rum in a long time. Uh, maybe a dark Russian. What's uh, the dark Russian again? That is... It's just a... Uh, is it Kahlua and Coke? Oh, no, not Kahlua. Yeah, um, you just put a splash of Coke. No, it's, that's, a, that's a bulldog. A Colorado bulldog's got Coke and it mixes it. Um, there's a, a black Russian. is just, 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 just the vodka and Kahlua with no milk, right? No, no, there's Coke in there as well. Okay. Ah. Uh, a little bit of coke. Learning about cocktails and what is and isn't. Learning about the science. Of, <laughs> the science. Well, of cocktails. There's mixing and there's chemistry. <laughs> and did you have one last story before we wrap this uh, up? We could do one last story. Yeah, there's, this is kind of a cool thing that I found on ScienceDaily.com about um, the efforts to develop a uh, sort of means of, of of using water droplets to contain digital logic using uh, ready? Hyd- super hydrophobic droplet logic. Uh, this is something that the researchers at Alto University have developed a new concept for computing using water droplets as bits of digital information. And that was enabled by the discovery that upon collision with each other in a highly water-repellent surface, two water droplets rebound like billiard balls away from each other. So in that work, uh, they experimentally determined the conditions for rebounding of water droplets moving on this superhydrophobic surface. And in the study, they used a copper surface coated with silver and chemically modified with a fluorinated compound and that enabled the surface to be so water repellent that the droplets roll off when the surface is tilted slightly. And they could use these uh, super hydrophobic tracks developed during a previous study um, to guide droplets along design paths. And then using those paths, they demonstrated that they could be turned into technology, sort of super super hydrophobic droplet logic, as they called it. For example, they built a memory device where water droplets act as bits of digital information and uh, furthermore, devices for elementary Boolean logic operations, like ands and ors and things, could be demonstrated with the interaction of these. Am I right, though, in thinking this is substantially bigger than any normal computer? That's the interesting part, is that it doesn't seem like it's a very useful thing if it's that much bigger than transistors. Yeah, because bi- like, the thing about uh, binary code, it's like it's ones and zeros. So like, it's, it's like, like either a drop or not a drop. It's like you could build anything like that. We built a computer out of the way cars go into a parking lot. <laughs> Look at you know a thousand cars moving around this. Yeah, it's like a pl- giant player piano. Yeah, got, like, <laughs> I'm looking over the article to see if they actually listed the scale they're talking about to see how big or small these were. Um, but I guess okay, there is a, you there's a too could turn your garden fountain into a computer with a power of. A wristwatch from the 80s. By the biggest technicality imaginable, this could also be a computer. <laughs> Let's see if, these, if it mentions the, the size. None of this has mentioned the scale of this. Um, but yeah, they created a, like a flip-flop, which is an elementary um, uh, digital logic device using these droplets. Oh, this is pretty sweet, actually. I got to post this. <laughs> this video is great. I'll post this on our, uh, on our Tumblr once this episode goes up. But... Um, Let's see. Furthermore, when the water droplets are loaded with reactive chemical cargo, um, the onset of a chemical reaction could also be controlled by the droplet collision. So it might be useful for things besides a ridiculously cumbersomely large computer. Um, They could also use it to control the onset of these chemical reactions. Um, Combination of the collision-controlled chemical reactions with droplet logic operations potentially enables programmable chemical reactions where single droplets serve simultaneously as miniature reactors and bits for computing. So that could be useful. Okay, that could be. Yeah, if they're both containing something that has that's essential for this reaction, and they're able to act as digital logic devices. But yeah, mostly it's a cool video, so we'll post that online. <laughs> and uh, fans of logic gates, this does kind of this. I was reminded of this. Um, I I tried to text someone about the fact that I was playing music with a friend, and my my phone is so convinced that I'm more likely talking about logic gates than than playing music that it is multiple times auto-corrected the word band into all caps NAND which is a not <laughs> and logic gate that does uh, that's <laughs> and operation and the negation you did of go that. to NAND camp as a kid though, yeah right? I did go to NAND camp it was pretty uh, we, we won battle the NANDs it was uh, <laughs> I got a lot of NAND camp tale after that it was awesome <laughs> Uh, that's the uh, the technological equivalent of like your phone just calling you a pussy and shoving oh, you in a locker. Exactly. And my phone's like, you don't play guitar. That's <laughs> not, uh, I saw the engineering degree in the wall. This is not what you should be talking about. Uh, well, that's about all the time we have for this week because Matt and I have to get to a hot chip show. We do indeed. And we're very excited about it. We're off to the Hollywood Bowl. I think we're missing Passion Pit right now, but we're going to try no, to make no, it. No, I think we should be starting in about 10 minutes' time, so nice. we're going to miss the beginning of them. Um, Mark, we should, uh, we don't have anything to plug. Any good shows coming up? 
Um, just here in LA, I'm doing uh, French toast at the end of the month. That's uh, Zach, uh, Zach Sherman's show. It's cool. always a lot of fun. Um, add me on Twitter, Mark A G M A R K A G E E. That's me. So follow him, find out about shows. He's a funny man. Thanks, sir. Listen to his tweets. <laughs> listen, listen to them. Listen to my tweets. <laughs> listen listen to them. closely. Put your ear up to your laptop. Pay an actor to read them. D- D- DM me, <laughs> and I'll, I'll call it. you and read you my last tweet. <laughs> Send me your no, I'm surprised no one's done a service like that, like a sort of a, a phone-a-song thing that the NBA Giants used to do, but for tweets. Just set up an 800 number where you can hear a recording of someone. Delaney, get on that if you listen to this. <laughs> I know you're not listening to this. but uh, uh, And so, as always, we say, like, any questions, comments, corrections, or cool stories, please do email probablyscience at gmail com find us on twitter at probably science or our tumblr slash probably like probably science everything and find us please comment please tell us where we've got facts wrong <laughs> or confused you or confused us tell us if the things that we said will be falling asleep today uh weren't quite accurate or not yeah so please yeah <laughs> please correct us please write in please join us uh spread the word rate us click on the thing on iTunes that makes people find us more. Oh, also, uh, we have a new sponsor. We have a new sponsor in the form of Audible, uh, which is a great service. If you like podcasts, you probably also like audiobooks, and you can go to audibletrial.com slash science a free 30-day trial. You can uh, get a free, one free uh, e-book download, audiobook download, and also a 30-day trial with that. So You could, for no money whatsoever... No money whatsoever have someone read a book just like Mark would be reading his tweets. Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. could have someone reading maybe, I'm, I'm sure there's like a Richard Feynman book probably read by him on there, some kind of science-y stuff. I'm going to go get a Good Night Moon and pretend my mother is reading me to sleep so I can oh, get a normal sleep cycle. Perfect. <laughs> Sad but beautiful. <laughs> so thanks a lot for listening. Join us again. Indeed. Have a good week. <laughs>